Welcome to another episode of Coming Up Next, the podcast. Before we get to the interview with Tim Blackwell, are you subscribed to the show yet? You can do so at uh, comingupnext.com.au. There are links to iTunes, to Stitcher, and to Podbean. And it's going to be the most surefire way to ensure that you are sure to be not missing any of the episodes each and every week. They'll download automatically to your device of choice. There's also the entire back catalogue of podcast rambles there. That's comingupnext.com.au. Welcome to another episode of Coming Up Next, the podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for stopping by. If this is not your first time tuning in, welcome back. Uh, Got a cold. You may be able to hear the stuffiness of my sinuses. Don't know if it's a um, a culmination of uh, jet lag and um, a lack of sleep and staying up uh, slash getting up early to do video editing but uh, the face has definitely exploded in a uh, in a lovely sea of well probably don't need to go any further than that but um, if you're wondering why my voice is sounding so nasally or particularly nasally this week that's why it is um, but the show must go on the podcast must go on as uh, as we say or as I'm saying right now uh, thank you to Alyssa Down, my guest last week. She's the acclaimed writer-director of, uh, of The Black Balloon, and she came on the show last week to uh, share insights about her pathway, journey, career as a, uh, as a filmmaker. If you haven't checked it out, you can find it at comingupnext.com.au, available for your consumption as well as the entire archives. Uh, they're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and YouTube. So anywhere you find your downloadable on-demand audio content. Tim Blackwell is a uh, is a name you are probably very familiar with if you live in Australia. He's currently on uh, on drive from 4 to 6 with Kate Ritchie and Marty Sheargold um on Nova. He's also a uh, regular on the project, on Getaway, on the Today Show. Basically, if you don't know who he is, um, you've probably been living in a cave for the last little bit of time. Anyway, he has had quite a remarkable career and journey through the world of radio. And, uh, and this week I have been uh, very fortunate to jump on a uh, podcast ramble with him just before he went on air, just before he went on drive with uh, Kate and Marty to speak about his career, to speak about the usual kind of rambly musings. So let's get right into it. Coming up next, the podcast with Tim Blackwell. I saw on my um, Twitter feed actually that you've been uh, nominated for another uh, ACRA award this year. It's it's incredible. Congratulations, man! Yeah, thank you. We're going for the three peat as the um, best on air team, and uh, there were a few little individual ones thrown in there too. But that's the big one at the end of the night. That's like the the best picture nomination. Yeah, right. So um, 
fingers crossed, we, we won the last two years, which was already a little bit unprecedented, I think. So it might be a year off, but we might be going for the hat trick. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite phenomenal uh, to consider where you've come from and, and how you've managed to forge this career uh, in radio by, you know, through kind of grit and determination. Um, I guess I, I was really interested to speak to you specifically about that and about how you've managed to create and sustain this career in radio over, uh, you know, 15 plus years. Um, and you've kind of gone through you know, the re- really paying your dues and working your way up through the ranks of, of the radio world. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you. I, I don't know if I've, I've really paid the dues, though, because, I mean, especially if other radio people are listening to this, like, I was lucky enough, like, the furthest away from home I, I moved was Perth, but that's still a capital city um, <laughs> with the 24-hour right. maggots and, and a night and a nightlife, you know. Um, I've got friends that have, have, have gone through, you know, very, very country, very, very tough, um, tough times to kind of get into a city. Um, but I, I also, because I was very young, I had the luck of being young and, and not having any family um, commitments or any partners or any kids. So I kind of just, it was just a matter of getting on a plane and, and going off to a, a new opportunity. So I loved every minute of it. Wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, but yeah, if other radio people are listening, they probably would look at me and say, <laughs> you've just hit capital cities your whole life, you wanker. Right. So um, I appreciate where you're coming from, though. But as far as um, other people in the business, they have done it a lot tougher than I have. So what you mean by that is people have gone out to more regional spaces to well yeah i don't want to mention kid. any city names or town names in case they're listening too but yeah. <laughs> um you know i had a friend that worked at a radio station in lithgow for six months and you know there was really just just the radio station just the job didn't have any friends very isolating but um yeah they they actually had to pay their dues properly right i wonder i saw something that um you you'd said you you'd always been interested in radio for as long as you could remember do you remember the first time that you uh, that you did perform or entertain? Or I remember as a kid, like having a dictaphone and mucking around with my brother and doing like little silly, I guess, uh, amateur radio uh, shows. Do you do you remember anything like that from your childhood? Oh yeah, that that's all. That was my the whole childhood. That's how I um, filled it. Initially, I never wanted to entertain or do anything like that. I just wanted to be a music jock and a really good music jock. So I used to take Barry Bissell on the top take 40 countdown and and stuff like that. I remember my grandfather when I was like eight or nine got me one of those um, young talent time amplifier and microphone and guitar sets. And that was cool because I'd never seen a real microphone before. And so I got rid of the guitar and what I did was put the amplifier in the kitchen and then run the microphone cable into my bedroom and just read out the newspaper to my mum while she was in the kitchen making dinner. And I remember doing that for every single night until I was a lot older probably than I should have been. Um, so, yeah, ever since then, I was always, you know, queuing up my dad's records and talking over them and watching Rage and working out what the best top 10 was. And even when I was watching Rage on the couch eating my cereal on the weekend, I would back announce and announce the tracks as they would go. I wasn't recording it. It wasn't going anywhere. I was just talking to myself in the lounge room. So <laughs> it has always been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Yeah, right. So I guess it was only kind of natural that you would fall into a career 
doing that? Was it something that you were doing while you're at school? Were your parents supportive of this as like an endeavor? How did you kind of satiate that when you were in uh, in primary and high school? Well, I was lucky when I, what really firmed it up for me. So we moved to America um, when I was about thirteen. And I um, got to listen to Howard Stern basically every single yeah, morning right. on the radio. And I, and I was still flick around, but I was listening to that and I thought to myself, well, I'd never heard of anything like that initially because, of course, we didn't really have the internet then. And um, we were just listening to our wacky morning crew type shows in Australia, which I still love, don't get me wrong, but there were nothing like that. That really firmed it up for me. So I remember when I came back home, I... Um, I was living with my dad because my mother stayed over in the States and um, I uh, went to school in Tassie for a few years because that's where my dad was and in year 10, 11, I'd go into the local station which was then Triple T in Hobart and um, I'd just make coffee for the brekkie guys after handing them for months, mind you. But my dad would drive me in, you know, at 5.30 in the morning and I'd do that until about 8.30 and then go off to school and I wanted to do it most days. It ended up being just two days a week. And then, you know, when I moved back to Sydney, I did community radio, um, tried to do uni for a little while. I did a communications degree at Macquarie University. But the thing, I don't know if you know much about Sydney, but the thing about Macquarie University is it's right next door to the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Right. So for the first few months of that so-called degree, I was going, why aren't I going into that building? So I did everything I could and got into the um, graduate kind of commercial radio broadcasting diploma or something like that. They only had about 10 spots in the country and... I got through that rigorous um, uh, application process, which was probably the hardest part of the course, actually, just to try and get in. And so once I got in, it was kind of, that's where it all catapulted, really, into an actual paying job, not just something that my dad would drive me to and me making coffees for, for people. <laughs> well, what did, you, what did your parents do? Or what do they do? Oh, lots of different things. Um, but my stepfather at the time was a software consultant for Philip Morris, the big tobacco giant. So that's why we moved over to the States. Um, and then, yeah, just moving back with my dad was great. And he just drove me around. I guess how some parents drive their kids to the pool at four in the morning to make, make, make them into an Olympian. My dad drove me to the local radio station so I could make instant coffee for the breakfast guys. Yeah. <laughs> so while you were at, uh, while you were at afters, uh, was there anything or any teacher in particular that you really connected with that um, that kind of was able to, I guess, pull out of you what you wanted to be doing and the direction that you wanted to be taking? Well, Steve Ahern was the head of radio at the time, and I still um, have the utmost respect for him. He um, looked after us, and that's where I got to meet my um, one of my best mates, Chris Page, who now does the grill team on Triple M. We were in the same class together. So the fact that he kept us kind of intact and, and in line, I think was, um, I, I owe him a lot for that. But the great thing about afters was you didn't really have teachers. It was, it was more, you grabbed the best of the industry and they came in and they taught you what they knew. So you'd have one of the best image producers for today FM come in and, and teach you about imaging for five days. And then you'd have one of the best news directors in the country. You'd have some of the best jocks. We even got Alan Jones and John Laws to come in and speak to the class. So it was about, not necessarily about having one teacher, like, um, you know, the um, Robin Williams Goodwill Hunting type thing. It was more just being exposed to so many different great minds. Because the other thing about that, that course was everyone wanted to be the big radio star, but you got to learn every part of it. So you have the, the huge respect for the newsroom. You have huge respect for the people who work the pots and pans in production. 
Um, we even did our own marketing because we started our own radio station, our own promotion. So they really made you do everything because there were people, as I mentioned before, that had to go and have their first job in Lithgow. And if you want to be the breakfast announcer in Lithgow, you have to be the sales director, the marketing manager and the promotions director all at the same time. So, um, yeah, you were littered with skills and you came out um, you came out with a much broader knowledge of your industry more so than just what happens in the studio. Yeah, you know, I work in uh, in in the film industry, and a, a conversation that I often have with with filmmakers on the show is about, you know, the merit of going to film school versus going and getting a, a more practical on set education. And it sounds similar in in the world of radio, where you know you really are diversifying your skills by going and and actually studying because you're kind of you kind of get the kitchen sink thrown at you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, two schools of thought. I mean, getting into a place like Athens is obviously a huge benefit because there's not many places like that. But you are kind of cotton wooled a bit. Like we all still get to go back home at the end of the night. I, I still think that being in a in a working radio station with egos and and you know the odd tantrum and low pay and bad coffee still um, is probably the best way to <laughs> to learn. So if you can if you could somehow manage both, because that was the other thing about. It. Um, after this, we went then and did a two-month work placement. So I went to the uh, then DMG hub in Albury, which, I mean, they were doing, they were broadcasting to nine or ten different stations out of one studio. So um, I got to do some pretty full-on uh, network shifts um, in that work placement. So, yeah, once you went out into the real real world, you realised um, how lovely and safe it was back at the afters <laughs> campus. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you feel like you learned there that uh, really, I guess, kicked your ass a little bit to the point where it's something that you, or a skill or a piece of advice or philosophy that you still kind of hold with you now? Oh, look, I, I think the thing that Aftis taught me the most, which I probably wouldn't have gotten at that stage, the problem with school and university is you're always hanging out with people who are your own age and that's fine, but you also think that, you know, at 22, you know everything and, and that's just the way it is because all my friends are 22 and then all the teachers are way too old. Like the thing about afters was, yeah, there was some teen, there was some early, um, or sorry, late, late teens, early 20s in there. We also had a couple of students that were then in their 30s, which to me back then was ancient. But like we were working with not only these lecturers, um, who, as I said, were the likes of Alan Jones or John Laws sometimes, but also working with other people in our class that came from very different backgrounds um, that were very different ages, um, but all wanted to work together and work for the, for the you know, work in the industry. So, I mean, there wasn't really anything that I've got, you know, an inspirational quote on my wall from the time there or something, but it was working with, with very different people as opposed to people who were just like me. And that's exactly, I mean, look, I'm talking to you from Nova now about 45 minutes before we're going on air and We've got people all around us from all different ages. And same now that I'm in my mid to late 30s, we've got people wandering around here that are, you know, 19, 20, and we've also got people who are in their 50s, you know. So that's what a radio station is, um, and that's what the world is, really. So I think AFTERS gave me a good um, a good kind of foundation for that. Yeah. And were you prepared for the, I guess, uh, nomadic kind of side of, you know, you mentioned before that a lot of people go out into regional uh, spaces, but you were lucky enough to go to Perth and, and have worked in capital cities, but still, I suppose, uprooting and, and moving around as frequently as you have must be a little bit discombobulating uh, at, a, at a certain extent. 
Yeah, look, I, I think that was taught to me early on at Afters from a lot of the lecturers was if you want a job, you've got to move for it. You've got to move to where the job is. Um, and there were some people, you know, um, not necessarily in my year, but just said, no, I'm from Sydney. I want to work in Sydney. I want to be a big star in Sydney. So I didn't leave. And, and most of those people who had that attitude, I, I've, I've not, not heard from them again as far as, you know, being in the business. Um, people want... Um, People want experienced people, and if you're getting into the business so young, I mean, your experience comes from doing a show five or six days a week, and the problem about people who maybe want to start in Sydney or Melbourne, um, they come into a radio station like Nova and maybe get one shift a week. Well, that's fine, because you're working at Nova Sydney, good on you, but you need to be doing six days a week to really cut the cut the crap out of, and, and learn what, where your strengths are and, and work on your weaknesses. So, um, yeah, uprooting was good. I mean, to my benefit, too, every time I moved, touch wood, it was always to a better job. So it was never so sad that um, I, w- I was never moving backwards, put it that way. Not yet. Anyway, I'm sure that time will come. But every time I got on a plane with a suitcase and a one-way ticket, it was always to a better job. And I think that's – you can keep it going that way, you're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the career aim, I, I would I would hope, in a in any industry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Keep getting a better job. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time that you went on air, what that was like when you when you hit on air on your first show? Uh, I, I guess it was a late night, uh, late night show that you were doing. Well, the first show I did for Nova was Midnight Till Dawn. And so what, well, I guess starting in Melbourne as well um, as my first, I mean, look, the first time I read the weather on community radio, I still remember my hands shaking because I printed it out from the Bureau of Meteorology and I, I mucked up every second word. Like that's, I could, I'll never get that out of my head. But the first time I kind of did Midnight Till Dawn, it was almost the best way to, to ease into it really because I was sitting in a world-class studio in one of the biggest cities in the country, but there was no one around in the building. It was pitch black outside so I just felt like I was in there on my own so I was kind of just like oh well this is all right this is all right and then as it got crept into the five o'clock hour and the breakfast show guys Susie and Kate and Sasha French their producer started rolling in started getting a bit more nervous and then as the sun came up and I finally saw the sun come up over the Melbourne skyline well I was shooting myself so I had this four and a half hours five hours of just 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 cruising like doing the best show of my life this radio thing's great and then as soon as the sun came up over over the Melbourne skyline and other people started coming into the building, I thought, oh, I'm actually part of something pretty big here. This is massive. Yeah. And you were had a big uh, helping hand in launching Nova in both Melbourne and Perth. Um, what was it like to see something like that grow from, from that point in time to where it is now? Well, look, I, I was very lucky to be a part of the Nova Melbourne launch. I don't think I did much. I didn't have a lot to do with it. I was just lucky to be around. Yeah, right. I had the midnight till dawn shift. But the Perth one, I was front and centre. I was the first voice on Nova Perth with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And um, look, I I still think I sounded like a 12-year-old girl with their voice breaking just because I had the Chili Peppers on one side of the desk. And then I had Dean Buchanan, our group PD. I had Paul Thompson, who um, ran DMG at the time. I had every news camera in there because it was the first radio station to come to Perth for decades. I had just a flurry of people outside just looking in. I, I, you never get into radio to kind of put on that public show and you, you always 
you're very comfortable broadcasting to what can sometimes be 100,000 people or in Kate Timamati's case now or over a million people a week. Like, but you're always just you in the studio when you have that kind of fanfare around, <laughs> around like we did for that launch. It was the most exhilarating, but most nervous I've ever been in my life. Yeah, I could imagine. It's like, well, I guess that really is. Well, it's one thing that the Chili Peppers there. You want to impress the Chili Peppers, then you're not, then you're worrying about your big boss. Then you're worrying about being on telly that night on the news. Then you worry about pressing the right buttons. It was, it was constant. Yeah, and you would have been, I guess, reasonably young, well, relatively young uh, at that point in time as well. Yeah, 2002, I think it was. Oh, gosh, I can't remember now. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Having, you know, the, like I said at the beginning, the reason that I wanted to speak to you was that you have forged this career over such a long period of time. I guess I'd, I'd love to know if you think there is anything that has helped you to maintain relevance as, a, as an on-air personality and also, you know, ingratiated you into shows like The Project or The Today Show, you know, these, this kind of uh, great body of work that you've created for yourself as, as, uh, as Tim Blackwell. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just think the thing about radio is you're on live every day for, in our case, two hours. So we're doing, what, 10 hours of live content every single every single um, week. And that, I think, I always think radio gives you a great grounding. Like, you know, I have been lucky enough to do stuff for the project. I'm doing stuff for Getaway on Channel 9, the Today Show. I'm doing some voiceovers for a couple of telly shows, which will be coming up this year. It all it just makes you, it just, you kind of have a work ethic about you. and But you all, it also teaches you to not really take anything so seriously. Like, you're not, like I remember even when Hamish and Andy came in a little while ago and they were talking about the big difference between going from radio to TV and they've just made this series, this true story series, which has basically taken them 16 months to make five hours or, or three hours of content. And when you've come from radio, you're just like, well, that's just... Well, that's crap. Like, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine how many shows that would have been. So with radio, I think, you know, you, you always want to do a good job, but I don't think, I think what it's taught me to take into everyday life is you care about stuff, but just care about it a little bit. Don't, don't over-articulate it. Don't over-egg um, over it. I remember when I started out, I'd record one break 20 times, you know. That's no way to live um, because you might have stumbled on a word or something like that. So as soon as you realise that no one really cares, no one's really listening, uh, <laughs> you, you, does that make sense? I hope I've answered your question, but I, I think it just means that you, you go into other projects with uh, you, a little bit of, like, you're caring about it a little bit, but you're not making it be the be-all and the end-all. And I think that's why I love just being able to have the opportunity to try things out on the project and and and, and do stuff on, on telly with the Today Show. And I think the live stuff, the live telly stuff, I think you'll find that people with a radio background generally master that pretty well because this is what we do every day. The mic goes on and, and sometimes we don't know what we're going to talk about. I mean, most of the time we've got an idea, but a lot of the time it's just rambling. Well, that's what my uh, my whole... Uh, I've created a whole podcast predicated on, <laughs> on rambling. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so I hope that answers your question. I don't really... I think I answered so long I forgot what the question was, but hopefully there was an answer in there somewhere. Oh, it was something about how you've uh, created the longevity that you have created. Um, but I think... Well, I think it's back to the people as well. I, like I mentioned with the Aftis people, it's about, it's about realising that you're not going to get this without people around you and you've got to be a good employee in the radio station as well as a good on-air presenter. Um, so it's just about working out who makes you look good you know i've got darcy in our production booth 
who works tirelessly on this show and makes us look amazing. And um, his his turnaround on his work ethic's been incredible. And that kind of re-energizes you as well, you know. So the surrounding yourself with good people and and working out um, how to inter, uh, interact with them is um, is a key, I think. So it helps you in every way, yeah. uh, in any every part of your life. Absolutely. And, you know, doing the amount of or turning over the amount of content that you do, how would you, you know, from where you began to where you are now, how would you define a successful show or, or a successful week or a successful year? Well, see, our show runs very differently to other shows. Like, I know there are some shows on air that talk about what's their big talkability moment of the week and what are we going to get in the papers for this week and what are we going to do to make everyone go... <sighs> Um, but I think even just throughout the fact that we don't really do any interviews and, and we don't do really big flashy segments, I think, um, I guess as well, to, to me, I'm not so surprised that podcasting, what we're doing right now, has taken off. I think with so many, everyone wants five minutes of a YouTube clip or everything. They want every bit of information quick. I think people like podcasts and, and hopefully like our show because it's just bringing conversation back a little bit. And um, we don't claim to break any news. We don't claim to have an exclusive interview before anybody else because that gets tiring as well. Um, we want to enjoy our time at work and just enjoy being able to chat to each other. And sure, we bring topical stories to the table, but if they're, if they're from last night, who cares? I remember um, the comedian Will Anderson talk, told me once, because he obviously was doing radio for a, a, a lot longer before I began show radio, he just said, no one really cares if it's topical or not. They just want to hear how you, their favourite show, cover it. So as soon as you realise that, um, I think, you know, look at it, look at our um, leadership spill from last week. Like, I flicked on John Laws this morning, you know, being a Monday when we're recording this, just to see, even though I know, I've read everything there is to know about the spill, but I've always loved listening to Laws since I was a kid. I wanted to know how he covered it this morning, you know. So I, I, I think that's that's pretty important to realise that no one's listening to FM radio at four o'clock on a Monday afternoon to get the latest breaking news. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and, and if you think they are, well, then you're mistaken. So, yeah, I just think, look, for our show, um, before we have to wrap up, I think it's just a conversation and hopefully it's an interesting conversation. I think that's why podcasting's just taken off as well because people miss that because everything's been consumed so quickly and in bite-sized bits. We're going back to just wanting to hear how people chat about things. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, in a similar way to why people tune in to a, a sitcom or a, or a talk show on, on TV, it's there's there's a certain emotional connection to the personality. Uh, and like you say, it's it's the way that that personality, if you're talking on a philosophical level, is um, is exploring the idea or the news or, or whatever, is, is conversing on that topic. Mm, exactly. Thank you so much, Tim, for uh, for taking uh, time just before you, you do go on air. I finish all of my podcasts with the same question. The question is, what makes you silly? Oh, well, generally alcohol, if I'm being serious. <laughs> <laughs> What's your drink of choice? Again, depends. I don't mind um, a gin and tonic or a beer or if it's a special occasion, a little margarita every now and then. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, you know what, the real answer to that would be my kids. I'm about to have our third child and I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and just laying on the trampoline with them um, for hours really um, sets you up for a, a good day at work or a, a good weekend. So I would say it's definitely the kids at the moment. And then when they're asleep comes the alcohol. <laughs> Do you do any little uh, radio shows or radio plays with the kids? 
I've had my daughter's come in uh, for the show before, and she's talked on the microphone. I'll um, I'll have to get my son in now because he's seen the videos, so he's next. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Tim. Alistair, thanks for the time. I'm glad we could make it happen finally. Been a pleasure.